Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Friday, November 19th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. NFL regular season games don't come much bigger than this. The Dallas Cowboys visit the Chiefs on Sunday in a battle of division first place teams. I read somewhere this week that this should be the highest rated televised game of the regular season. The game kicks off at 3.25 p.m. on Fox. On today's show, Chiefs beat writers Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell break down the game along with columnist Vahe Gregorian. They covered plenty of topics and took questions and comments from the audience. So let's get started talking Chiefs Cowboys. Welcome to Week 11's edition of Sports Beat Live. Gentlemen, we do not have Nelly with us. We don't have Blair with us. So instead of the A team, are we the A minus team? What, what are your thoughts on that, Vahe? <laughs> I think uh, we're a solid B. Um, but, you know, at least you can say gentlemen and be accurate without those two on here. Your thoughts, Mr. McDowell? Well, I, I, I think we lose one in Blair and we gain one without Sam. So it's a, it's a net positive. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our show once again. And, of course, we just our esteemed panel here representing the A-team. We got Vahe Gregorian, our esteemed columnist. And Sam McDowell, uh, who covers the Chiefs as a beat writer. And then he wrote a phenomenal story on Legereus Sneed. So if you guys haven't seen it, definitely go to KansasCity.com and check it out. Hey, guys, before we get to Week 11 showdown with the Dallas Cowboys, because to me, this is the premier game this week. We got to review what happened last week. Where did this 41 to 14 win come from? Vahe, I know you wrote a column on Faith Restored. Is faith restored in this team? You know, I I think we've learned enough about this team by now to to realize that we're week to week. Uh, you know, I don't want to use uh, day, literally day to day because that's a that's a scary term for Chiefs fans because it conjures the uh, Eric Berry whole season. What I felt in that game was we were watching something that I don't know if you just use the term that's more like it. What we've gotten used to uh, out of this team in the Mahomes era, even when they were in a sense laboring to win games uh by uh thin margins last year you saw the things that kind of gave you that sense of wonder about what Patrick could do uh sort of the infinite capability of the offense and we have not really felt that way all season unless it was against teams that were you know certainly lesser teams so given the circumstances given the the pivotal (laughs) swing game that that was in a lot of ways just to win that game would have been a big deal for the Chiefs I I just thought some magic came back and preserving that, sustaining that, making it mean something is obviously uh, the, the story of the season. But it's not lost on any of our audience that Chiefs now have the same record that they did two years ago, gotten there a little different way. But it does remind you that from this point of the season forward, they're completely in position to own their own their destiny. Of course, let's remember that destiny is destiny. Uh, you don't own your destiny. Predetermined, right? Predetermined. <laughs> I think it's it's more the way they won the game um, that should instill some the, – the way they even scored the 41 points that I think should instill some confidence about the rest of the season. Uh, now, the Raiders played what we all thought during the game was a completely different defense than what the Chiefs had seen for the first nine weeks. Mahomes sort of clarified that and said it might have looked different pre-snap that they only had one safety in their defensive backfield. And the Chiefs, of course, have seen the two deep all year. But after the snap, they did sort of 
drop back into that two deep safety. So he actually said that this defense that the Raiders ran was more similar than what it appeared to those of us who, who you know, aren't dissecting these things on film. So then you look at it and say, well, how did they beat that defense finally? Because that's what's given them trouble for the past month. And those are the characteristics I think can carry over for, for this for this Cowboys game for week to week, which is they threw the ball short a lot. I mean, Tyreek Hill talked about after the game, the fact that he's getting tired of running 12-yard ends all the time. Um, Travis Kelsey got involved. The running back caught nine passes. I mean, I realized one of them was a deep ball, but most of them are not. Um, and Mahomes stayed in the pocket. He was really good within the pocket, and they protected him well. Those are the elements that should be able to carry over, even you know if, if the Cowboys start in the too high look as opposed to just move to it after the snap. Um, so that's why you know if I'm a Chiefs fan, I, I would feel optimistic that 41 points could mean a big day against the Cowboys as well. Yeah, with Mahomes 400 plus yards uh, passing, he also had five touchdowns. And, and McDowell, you talked, you you touched on what he saw out of the Raiders defense but he also had a little extra motivation with a viral video and then i know you wrote about that what tell us a little bit more about that please yeah that was one of the interesting things that i felt like that moment sort of felt like back in the day when we used to get in the locker room and you'd find a piece of something that had happened throughout the week and you'd write about it um, but it actually came out during the press conference with uh patrick mahomes said that shane Bouchelle, at that time the practice squad quarterback he's since been signed to the roster this week showed him a video and it's actually from 2014, but for some whatever reason, it's recently recirculated where a kid from high school is being interviewed and says, I think I got my swagger back after they won the game. Um, and he does it in a comedic, intentionally comedic way, the way he, he sort of stutters backwards afterwards. We saw Travis Kelsey do it on the telecast while all of us were in the press conference, but Mahomes said as soon as Shane Bouchelle showed it to him either on Monday or Tuesday, that that became the theme of his week. He was like, that, that's what we're going to, we're going to do on Sunday. Um, and a guy that we've all thought finds ways to get motivated. That's one of the few times that he's actually told us something specific motivated him for a game. You know, what's funny also is that I have to go back and look at this, but do you guys recall? I thought that uh, at Patrick's Wednesday news conference before the game, he might have used a word like mojo or swagger. Yeah, he did say. Mojo, yeah, it probably was a little hint. Um, at at what he what he was taking in, but then of course he gave up the whole ghost on uh, on Sunday. Vahe, we, we talk about faith restored. We talk about mojo. We talk about swag. And when we look at that Raiders game, the Raiders entered that contest averaging almost 400 yards a game, and then they only posted 299. Is this defense? You know, three straight games of 20 points or less. Well, what are you seeing from this defense? Well, a few different things have come together there, and. Uh, one of our, I think Brian LaBarge had a comment about uh, Ingram, and it it got me thinking about something that it's so easy for us to forget. When one or two big plays happen, or when guys are gashing the line and just, just going, it's easy to lose track of that it's two or three things that went wrong, not 11. And something that's kind of formed here is, we'll talk more, I hope, about Legereus Sneed in another context, but just a development of a guy like Legereus Sneed, uh, players like Willie Gay and Nick Bolton um, learning to play together more, with Willie Gay being back for a few weeks, Chris Jones being more back on the inside. I don't think he had a lot of tackles Sunday, but one of the plays making the highlight reel was how he owned the edge and turned plays back inside. Yeah. And all that, each thing affects the other in such a way that it, it starts to, to bring things together. So there, 
it, Frank Clark's played better. I, I don't really remember much that he did last week, but he'd been on the uh, upswing. I just feel like they've kind of gotten um, their rhythm together. The communication's good. All this stuff, it seems so mysterious to us. Like, why can't they get it together? And just for whatever reason, uh, we we lose track of, I lose track of that every season you're, you're still reforming uh, how you put the whole thing together. The pass rush has changed a lot. Um, you know, when, when you can pressure the quarterback, a lot on the back end looks better. Um, and I mean, I said it's not one or two reasons for a while. It felt like it was 49 reasons why, why things weren't going well. Um, but, I, I, you know, I will say Dan Swartzen did have the interception on, on, on Sunday, and, and Steve Spagnola said he was happy as heck for him because things have not gone well. Having said all that, um, and Herbie, you should fill in more on this, but they've got their biggest test that they've had in, in, in a while this weekend. And, Herbie, you've asked the, the, these guys a lot about, you know, facing Zeke Elliott and Dak Prescott because it's a different sort of challenge than what they've seen in, in Derek Carr and um, Love and uh, Daniel Jones. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second here. But before we switch to Cowboys week, Sam, I want to give you an opportunity because Vahe uh, talked about Luxurious Sneed, and I know you've been tweeting about him, his ability to make the open field tackles. But there's more to Luxurious Sneed than what we're seeing on the field. So why don't you tell our readers and our viewers the story you wrote about Luxurious Sneed, please? Yeah, there's a story that I think it's going to be in Sunday's paper, but it's online on the website now. He had more a more difficult uh, path to get to the NFL than than a lot of guys do, and it, you know, just talking to him was sort of a reminder that everybody has a background, everybody has a story, even even stuff that you don't realize that they go through. But for him, I mean, the the his his father's side of the family is is a family of generational imprisonment. His dad was in jail his whole life. Um, his grandfather is still in jail. He's, he's never met him on the outside. Both of his dad's brothers were in jail. Um, and a couple times in college, Legereus got arrested and felt like he was going to go down that path as well. And I should say his, his mom was in jail as well, you know, until he was four or five years old. And his older brothers raised him um, and for that four or five year period. Uh, his, his oldest brother is only nine years older than he is. So he was, you know, 10 to 15 years old during that time. But this is something that's weighed on Legereus for, for a while and, and continues to weigh on him today. And only recently has he realized that some of the anxiety he feels on a daily basis is based on what, yeah, as he described it, the childhood trauma that he went through. Um, and he's still sort of figuring out how to sort through that. And he's talked about seeking therapy um, and something he thinks he'll eventually follow through on. But like I said, you know, just to sort of put a bow on it, it it's just a, a reminder that all these guys are, are more than the stats that that we see on the field, that, that they all have a different story to them, and, and, and that's luxurious. They're humans after all, right? And, and how, how is he tra- um, channeling all of that into what we're seeing on the football field? He talked about it, that he second-guesses himself and doubts himself a lot. And we all see the talent. And I think the coaches talk about his talent a lot. And he's, he picks up things quickly. That's why he's able to play multiple positions. Why he was able to switch positions at the NFL level after playing two other positions in college. He's playing the slot now at the NFL level um, and playing the outside. He's doing both. Um, but even despite all he's accomplished on the field, he still has second guesses and, and doubts within himself. Um, so I absolutely think that there's, there's a correlation there. Sam really gets deep into all this and his life, but it, the thing that struck me the most was the term you used before, Herbie, about the, the humanity of, of Legereus Sneed and 
and him opening up to you, Sam, about how this does play on his mind. And I, I won't spoil it for anybody, but I, I, I think anybody that reads it will, uh, will find it somehow both very painful, but also very uh, uplifting. Yeah, I think from a talent point of view, I don't think we'll get any disagreement whatsoever that he could have easily been a first round draft pick for the Chiefs. You know, instead they got a got a steal in him in a, in a late round pick. But you know, we we do get an opportunity to learn more about Legarius Sneed in this background, thanks to that phenomenal story from Sam McDowell that everyone needs to check out at KansasCity.com. Thanks. We talked about the Raiders. Now we're going to shift to the Cowboys. This is a star-studded game. I think this is the, the showcase game for week 11. And because of all the star power there, you know, Steve Spagnuolo and his group have a tough task ahead of them. And this is what he said on Thursday. It, it begins inside with that offensive line. That's a solid offensive line. And they, they've obviously, um, that's been a focus down there for a long time. Then it's the quarterback. Then it's all the skill on the outside. Then you go back to the runner. They've got, they've got a complete repertoire of, of weapons. I mean, I know uh, they got a couple of guys back that were, were injured, but when you can roll two running backs through like that, and they, you know, I, I wouldn't say that they always commit to the run, but that run threat is always there. And if you don't stop that run, they just easily just mow you over. And then the quarterback comes in. It's not just a good quarterback. It's a good athletic quarterback. And you know, I think he's a smart quarterback. I've gone through and gone against him a lot of times. Um, he can make you look bad. Because uh, he can do all the things that you need to do as a quarterback to be successful. I, I'm trying to find a weakness, to be quite honest. Um, I think that more than anything makes him really good. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Trying to find a weakness. My goodness. When you think of this Cowboys offense, you've got Dak Prescott at quarterback. You've got the two running backs anchored by Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, and then Dalton Schultz at, at tight end. Sam, how do the Chiefs stop this, this offense? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the number one offense in the league for a reason in, in several categories. So uh, I think I think it comes down to pressure. You, you've got to pressure the quarterback. You can't let Dak Prescott stand down there and take all day to find those targets that you just mentioned because, um, the, you know, the, the Chiefs cornerbacks have played better. You know, we've mentioned Snead, but Ward coming back has been a big addition for them, and Fenton has really developed into a, a, a fine player on the outside as well. 
a complimentary piece to their cornerback room. So th- those guys are tough guards. I mean, CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper are really tough guards. So the, the only way that, that you can help those guys out is just by making them guard less, and, and that's putting pressure on the quarterback. Quick aside about Fenton, he's especially good uh, on plays where the receiver runs the wrong way and he uh, can knock the ball out. I bring, I bring that up for a reason, though. I'm, I'm teasing he, uh, your points are well taken. But it is interesting, the whole X factor of, of the turnover game. That will be huge in this. We've seen it be just off the charts huge for the Chiefs this season because it, they've had such a, a bad run of it. And now the last couple of weeks, they've cleaned that up other than the uh, turnover on the, on the punt. No offensive turnovers the last two weeks. And uh, the defense has created a few. And, that's, and, they, and they did create a few. So I think that's going to be a key pivot point in this game, too. I'm stating the obvious, but I think we sometimes don't remember how much it just changes everything. I think a month ago, we, we, we identified this stretch before the Week 12 bye. This was a critical stretch because the Chiefs are riding a three-game winning streak, but they entered it at three and, three and four. How much does a game like the defense had against the Raiders set them up for the Cowboys' bye? I think they're in a lot better position to go into this game than they would have been. I think they, you know, momentum and uh, self-confidence do play a role in this, and it it probably makes them freer to play in some ways. And again, though, each game is its own thing. Even the fact that the Raiders had been a a much better team than the two teams, they well, than the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, obviously, is the point, and the Giants. You know, the Chiefs have a bit of a track record against – Derek Carr and the Raiders. I mean, and I think in the Juan Thornhill mic'd up thing, they were he was talking a little bit about how you could see how jittery Derek Carr was. Derek Carr has moments against the Chiefs, but not a lot of games. Converting that to this is is in a sense apples and oranges. But I do think the Chiefs have every reason to feel better about themselves. But look, they could get shredded defensively again. You couldn't be astonished, uh, especially with all those all the very things you pointed out, Herbie, that the Cowboys bring to the table. I think it'd be important to set the tone early. Andrew brings up a good point. And McDowell, I'm going to toss this question to you because you've written a lot about Mahomes and what he's seen out of defense. When when he looks across the line of scrimmage over there, he's going to see Trevon Diggs. uh, Number seven, he leads the league right now with eight interceptions, which is phenomenal. What does Mahomes need to be aware of when he's looking at that Dallas secondary? I think just that Diggs is willing to take chances. You know, one of the reasons he has, um, it's eight interceptions, right? Yep. One of the reasons he has eight picks is because he takes chances. And so that comment uh, that came across the board, I wish I I could remember who said it, uh, is spot on that you can beat him still. He's not a guy that you should be afraid to throw to. He's just a guy that you need to realize is willing to undercut a route. And that affects how you throw at him. Um, but he's he's not a shutdown cornerback. It, I know a lot of people see the highlights, and you know it's not just eight picks. He's returned at least two of those for touchdown. So I mean, he, he's a playmaker. Um, and I have always thought, you know, we talked early in the season when the Chiefs were struggling that we thought they should take more chances because they were giving up points anyways. And so a guy like that maybe would have fit in well. Um, but when you've got a good defense, you know that 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 equation's a little bit different. Um, but I, I think that, like I said, they could beat. Him. I think Tyree Kill, especially a guy that's not been able to get deep into the secondary, can beat a guy like Diggs that's trying to pick off a lot of passes. So don't don't be afraid to throw his way, but but you've got to you, you've got to keep it in your mind when you do of how he likes to defend. 
Yeah, and that's a good point because Eric Bieniemy said Thursday that with his guys, they will respect Diggs because they know that he is around the football a lot. But he didn't necessarily say that we're not going to shy away from throwing to him. And when you got a guy like Patrick Mahomes, why not take your shots? Do you agree with that, Vahe? I, I do. And um, it's funny, right? Each game also is, a, is an interesting measure of your own preparedness, what it is you do well versus taking what the other side can give you. All these things, you know, mesh together in their own ways. I was kind of, as soon as you guys mentioned Tyreek Hill again, I just keep kind of smiling and shaking my head over his gripe about the 12 yard ends. He made it sound like he'd never run one before, you know, before the last couple of weeks. And, you know, certainly the short to intermediate game has been part of their game. Um, but it, it stays with me also because I do think it, it, in a way it speaks to their mindset being a little different um, and understanding that that's, they're going to have to, you know, nibble and eat in different ways to get everything set up the way they want to. And that, I mean, theoretically, they've known this all along, but but I think they've seen enough examples of it that they realize that they, they'll get their shots here and there, but the patience is going to be part of what this offense has to has to be about. Yeah, I think the Tyreek Hill comment sort of reminded us all that it's not just Patrick Mahomes that's had to adjust to this. I mean, he's the one that ultimately makes the decisions about where to go with the ball, um, but it's been an adjustment for these other guys, too, on their route running. Um Joe Blameyer, when Herbie and I were in the press conference yesterday, made a real funny comment about that Tyreek Hill quote, though. He said, you know, when you were here the first couple of years, Tyreek, you were begging us to run those routes. Don't just send me deep all the time. And now he's getting plenty of them, and he wants to go deep. But uh, like, like I said, I, I think that was just, just kind of opened our eyes that, man, we've talked so much about the way Patrick Mahomes has to change his thinking. But it's been an adjustment for these other guys, too. Just a quick thing, a, a little tip of the cap to um, Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, both for uh, that last game. I mean, they, they their play had been a little little out of whack, um, whether it was about being in harmony with Patrick or some drop passes. And I thought they were, by and large, the guys that we're used to seeing. And doesn't it look different when they're all on on the, the same page and, and, and catching the ball? For the you know the virtually for the entire part, um, I think also that was another thing that was a little puzzling about the Raiders. Though I think we might have talked about this su- Sunday night, but they weren't exactly mugging Kelsey the way uh, other teams have, and I I was a little surprised by that. It seemed like anytime you just kind of took a look at Kelsey, he was getting off the line of scrimmage fine. I think that made a big difference in his game. Yeah, to the tune of a hundred plus yards receiving, Kelsey finally had one of his breakout games after consecutive weeks of quiet games. McDowell, you talked about adjustments. Let's discuss briefly Josh Gordon. You know, he, he saw a season-high snaps last week, but he's still not making an impact on the offense in the box score. What are the Chiefs saying about Josh Gordon? Yeah, I thought I thought Joe Blameyer gave us, uh, illuminated that point. And it, he's, he's the wide receivers coach. Um, illuminated that what's going on with Josh Gordon more than we've heard from Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy every week. You know, we only get the assistance once a month. We pick which assistants we get. It's only a handful of them, and he was one of them. So we got to talk to him yesterday. Um, and he said that Josh Gordon – I mean, first of all, the guy hasn't played football in two years. That part's obvious. The guy's never played in this offense. That part's obvious as well. So I, I think it, it was unreasonable for all any of us to expect that he was going to make this massive impact in the first, I think, month. But now that we we're you know, six, seven weeks into this, you do start to wonder when is the production going to come. 
Well, I thought he had a great week of practice last week, so he got on the field a ton, like you mentioned. His season high in snap counts, he didn't have a catch. He didn't have a target. So Joe Blameyer said that he's a veteran guy that knows the ins and outs of all offenses, of all routes, but knowing it within the Chiefs offense and connecting with the quarterback is a little bit more of an adjustment. And it can be just a tick off on where you plant. You know, the Chiefs are facing a lot of zone this year. And a zone calls for the wide receiver and quarterback to both identify a coverage the same on where that receiver is going to be. That's the stuff, kind of stuff that takes time, no matter how long you've been in the league. You've got to connect with your quarterback. And I think I, I backtracked to what the Bucs went through last year. You know, Rob Gronkowski took a while his first year back. He didn't have a good first half of the season. And he, and he hadn't played in, in a year and a half, just like Josh Gordon. But even Antonio Brown coming in, it took him a while. Obviously, an, a well-accomplished wide receiver in Antonio Brown, a Hall of Fame quarterback in Tom Brady, it still took those two guys a bit to get on the same page. And Brown hadn't been on the, out of the league the same like the time of Josh Gordon. So, But having said all that, I do think now is the time where we need to start seeing something for Josh Gordon if we're going to at some point. Yeah, you touched on conditioning, and I know there's a couple of questions on Clyde edwards helaire Is this the week they're going to see him? And, and Andy Reid said, you know, he wants to see how he does this week in practice. They do have a bye week next week, so they have the luxury of maybe waiting an extra week. And the same applies for Kyle Long. Vahe, based on what Daryl Williams has been doing, should the Chiefs rush to get Edwards-Alaire back in the lineup this weekend? I, I think rush is the key term. I mean, I, I think they, they want to get him back going. He, he offers some different dimensions, but I do think, you can feel pretty okay about what Daryl Williams has been able to do. And I think that precludes the need to say, you know, do anything desperate. It doesn't seem to me to be the chief's modus operandi to do that. Maybe, maybe you guys can remember differently, but I don't, I don't really remember an instance of a guy coming back too soon and, and feeling like, Oh, they really rushed that. I, I think that they, they're pretty respectful and thoughtful about it, unless I'm just not, not remembering something. So I think the production has been, um, well, especially last week, but the production has been certainly acceptable, if not, uh, if not desirable with what they're getting there. And uh, that should make them even more at ease about what they should be doing anyway. Right. Making sure he's making sure he's ready. And, and Mac, here's a question that I know like a lot of Chiefs fans are asking as well. If Edwards Alaire, well, if and when he does return, should he reassume his role as RB1 or does that belong to Daryl Williams now? No, I, I still think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire should be the starter. Um, but the point I would make is that when he does come back, first of all, I think, I think Darrell Williams is going to be more involved in the offense than he was early in the season because he's earned that. But when Clyde Edwards-Hilaire comes back, I'd like to see the Chiefs run some of the similar plays they're giving Darrell Williams, those downhill between the tackles runs, because I know Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a small guy, so the natural thought is that he's, he's fast and therefore you, you send him outside the tackles as often as you can. I think when we've seen him run, it's his quickness more than his flatline speed that gives him an edge. And so I think that shows up between the tackles and cuts. And if they can give him some of those same looks that they've given Darrell Williams, I think that's the type of offense that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could flourish in. Um, I, I would play him this week if the doctors clear him. I know you've got an extra week next week, but I, I think that the Chiefs are at their best when they've got both of those guys going. And if they can get those guys in a rhythm, you know, by late season, 
um, by playoff time. I think they're going to have something they didn't have last year. Let's remember Clyde Edwards Valaire was injured for the playoffs. He came back in the Super Bowl, but obviously was not 100%. If they do have Edwards Valaire, obviously this game takes on a different magnitude as well because I'm sure a lot of fantasy football people out there are going to be starting all their Cowboys and, and Chiefs for what projects to be an explosive offensive game. Vahe. X factor for this game as we wrap this up. Who, what, who or what is the X factor for this game? And what's your score prediction? I'm going to lean back on my turnover crutch. I'm happy to pick six. Bring it back. Bring it back. You know, I haven't trotted that one out in almost two years. Bring it back. I'm looking for the Legereus Sneed pick six. All right. To make uh, people want to read even more about him. I think... Uh, I'm looking at Chiefs uh, 31-27. Mac, what about you? I really like that score. Um, that's actually exactly what I was going to go with. Um, so, I, I, you know what? I, it's not shining me away. I know when Vahe predicts it, I, I should probably predict something else. But I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> 31-27. I think this could be the week that the Chiefs get a, a turnover on a sack. Um, they, they've been getting a lot of pressure lately. You know, Frank Clark, Melvin Ingram. Chris Jones, that combination has worked well for him since Ingram came to town. So I think they can get to the quarterback and, and force a fumble this week. I'm going to go 35-31 Chiefs win this game, and they're going to go into the bye week feeling pretty darn good about themselves. To me, the X factor is going to be the fans. I go back to the game against the Packers, and Andy Reid made it a point to point out that they were able to drown out the Green Bay Packers fans, and that was huge for them. And as we all know, the Cowboys fans are, are one of the teams in the league that travel very, very well. So for the Chiefs fans, you're going to need to be out there and you need to drown out the Cowboys faithful that are going to be making the trek here to Arrowhead Stadium. It's a hot ticket. Blair wrote about that earlier this week, but I think it was, what, the fifth highest price game in like the NFL this year. I mean, it's, it's a hot ticket. Yeah, it is a hot ticket. Hey, everyone, thank you for joining us, uh, the A-minus team. <laughs> With Vahe Gregorian, Sam McDowell, I'm Herbie Teope, and uh, we will see y'all later. And you heard the three of us pick the Cowboys to lose to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs should improve to 7-4 and four after this weekend. That'll do it for today, and usually at this time, I say that'll do it for the week, but we have an additional podcast dropping later today, so I hope you'll tune in to listen to Sean Goodwin talk soccer with Sporting Kansas City's playoff game on Saturday. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Tip of the cap to Herbie Teope, Sam McDowell, Vahe Gregorian for talking Chiefs. Links to stories about the Chiefs-Cowboys game can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. So let's talk about the morning sports edition. If you're not seeing it, you're really missing out. On KansasCity.com, you go to the Stars E-Edition. That's a replica of the printed newspaper on your screen that comes with your digital subscription. Well, now there is an updated sports section produced separately that goes along with it. When you open the E-Edition, there's a box in the upper right-hand corner that says All Editions. Click on that and you can access anywhere from 30 to, I think today, 48 pages of sports. You can also get it through email. I do, and the link is there by about 6 a.m. every morning. However you see it, you know what I'm talking about. It is complete coverage of the previous day's sports news, features, statistics, everything. Hey, thanks for reading The Star and listening to our podcast lineup. There are three of them today, along with Sam Mellinger's Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears. You're helping support the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City, and we couldn't produce programs like Sports Beat KC without you. We'll be back on Monday with another episode.